1: On this episode of the OFNT Podcast, I cover tech news featuring the second death of BlackBerry, using American tech giants to raise cash, tech I'm using, entertainment, and more. Let's start this thing. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the OFNT Podcast. OFNT stands for Old Fart, New Tech. I'm your host and resident old fart, Jim Schaefer, and the new tech, at least to me, is this podcast. I hope you are doing well and having a great weekend. It started as a conspiracy theory, but evidence is pointing to a man-made virus. Oh, Wuhan. No corrections. Politics. You get the respect you give, Nancy. You wanted to look powerful, but you just looked petty. Just saying. Let's open up with some tech news. From Android Authority. TCL Communications, the electronics company that has been manufacturing BlackBerry smartphones, said on Monday that the partnership has ended and it will stop selling BlackBerry-branded phones this coming August. TCL no longer has the rights to design, manufacture, or sell any new BlackBerry-branded devices, the company said in a statement posted to Twitter. Well, I guess this is the end of this once-dominant smartphone brand. I used to own a Curve, but only for communicating with my fellow workers at the time who were all on BlackBerry Messenger, known as BBM. Back then, you had to have a BlackBerry device to use BBM. I personally found the phone's operating system kind of clunky and the app selection kind of sparse. Later on, the company would release BBM to other platforms, but WhatsApp had come onto the scene, so it was a little too late for that. My wife had the BlackBerry Pearl, which she liked, and one of my daughters used a couple of their models. It's kind of sad, but life goes on. It's funny how things that used to be iconic and a status symbol can fade like that. The iPhone will face this someday. According to CNET, Huawei asked the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, not to finalize its its designation of the Chinese telecom giant as a U.S. national security risk. Reuters reported this on Monday. The company called the effort unlawful and misguided. Well, that's great, but if it's a fact, then it's not unlawful. To be clear... To those who think it's about banning the communist government's controlled behemoth phones, it's not the phones that are the issue here. It's all about the 5G backbone equipment they are selling at cheaper-than-they-should-be prices that undercut other networking companies' offerings. Huawei's equipment has known security flaws, which would allow the company and their government masters the ability to access the communications that flow through this equipment. The perfect spying method. Huawei could also, at the command of their bosses in Beijing, cut the flow of critical communications merely by flipping a switch. Because of government subsidies that allow Huawei to sell their equipment at a cost well below that of the company's competitors, they would achieve a monopolistic market share in the world's networking backbone. Do you want to be at the mercy of some committee in China? next. Well, the Motorola Razr has been released to certain markets and the word from early adopters first experiences are not good, according to SlashGear, There are reports of audible creaking sounds that don't inspire confidence in the flimsy build of the $1,500 phone. The somewhat lower mid-level specs don't bode well for multitasking or photography either. Again, this technology is not mature, nor, in my opinion, needed. Next phone to be released in this format will be the Samsung Galaxy, Galaxy Z Flip, which will probably flop. Just my opinion. This from The Hill. Tech companies feel growing the growing impact of the coronavirus outbreak. Experts? What makes these anonymous people experts? Maybe that's what I'll become when I retire. That or a consultant. I have no idea what those people do. Anyway, experts have warned that the outbreak in the world's most populous country and an economic superpower could threaten global growth this year. Hmm. Let me translate this for you guys. Now they have a justification to charge higher prices. China has already stated that production will be reinstated to pre-virus levels within a couple of weeks. So what is all the concern about? According to the article, tech company executives have been pulled out of China and are restricted from traveling to that country. Have they ever heard of Skype? Why does an executive have to be on site of where things are manufactured in the 21st century? Even if this is true, wouldn't it make sense to diversify your manufacturing base? I mean, these tech companies are so into diversifying their workforce, so why can't they diversify their manufacturing base? I'm calling bullshit, or at least partial bullshit, on this one. Next, CNN is reporting that Facebook executive Sheryl Sandberg is engaged. Yay! I share this because it came up on my tech news feed, and, well, I don't know why. Anyway, congratulations to the lucky couple. But I have to ask, who gives a shit? Well, I had been looking forward to this year's Mobile World Congress, but it seems that I'll be disappointed. Every day, it seems another major company pulls out of the event, citing the coronavirus outbreak. Ericsson and LG are the latest companies to pull out, according to the London Free Press. But hey, ZTE is going to be there. Don't forget your mask, everyone planning to attend. The French must need some money, so they are going to the ATM, which for them seems to be American tech companies. In a headline from the Asian age, The French have fined Apple 25 million euros, which is about 27 million dollars, for slowing down iPhones. Those of you that remember, this was part of the so-called battery gate drama from a while ago. If the software on an iPhone detected that the battery was weak, it would slow down the phone to prevent it from shutting down unexpectedly. Good deal, right? Well, Apple didn't tell consumers it was doing this, so it became a big deal. To settle this, Apple offered free battery replacements until last year, I think. I'm sure the same deal was offered outside of the U.S. also. Well, this was not enough for the French, though, who, besides the fine, asked Apple to publish a press release on its French website admitting to its false marketing practice an agreement to pay the fine. I hope Apple is appealing this, and if they have do have to pay... Write the statement in Haitian French. They didn't specify what French they wanted. Now now you see why Trump gets angry with Europe. We have fine foreign companies also, but for things like breaking trade embargoes. Remember ZTE transferring U.S. tech to Iran and North Korea? Or maybe Volkswagen for rigging emission tests on their diesel engines. Tech I'm using. This is not really tech, but I'll, I'll give it a go. I've been using Apple's leather cases for my iPhones for years. They are great quality and give the phone a great solid feel. In my opinion, Nomad cases are their only rivals, and after originally using a brown-colored leather Nomad case, I went back to a black Apple leather case. I had also purchased a Nomad leather case in black, but didn't really use it. On a lark, I switched out my Apple case for the Nomad, and won't be switching back anytime soon. The leather of the Nomad case is made in the USA and feels slightly better than Apple's case, and offers a bit more protection with a design that covers all non-screen sides of the phone and has an extended lip around the screen. My phone with this case feels like my old iPhone 4S when I use the keyboard, a solid feeling that's hard to describe, but has been missing from iPhones, at least for me, for quite some time. The case can be bought on the company's website, hellonomad.com, for $49.99 and is constructed of Horween Leather, a company from Chicago. It's available in brown or black. They also have leather cases for AirPod Pros for $34.95. Apple's leather cases are $49 but don't offer as much protection and are, in my opinion, slightly less in quality. They do have many different colors to choose from, though. Like I said, I have both and prefer Nomad's offerings. Now, news from that wacky world of entertainment. From Mashable, J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez for you non hip people, and Shakira made a political statement during the Super Bowl halftime show. During the performance, Lopez's daughter, Emma Maribel Munez, sang Let's Get Loud inside a cage like Dome. This supposedly was an allusion to the current border situation. Hmm. Maybe next time she can sing Let's Get the Facts Straight, and they might discover the photos showing children being kept in cages were from the time their patron saint, Obama, was in office. I didn't see the so-called performance, but heard it was basically soft porn with the women gyrating on poles and rubbing their crotches. Keeping it classy. Isn't it, isn't Lopez getting a little too old for this? Hmm. The game seemed like it was a good one. I like that kid who's the quarterback for Kansas City. I really like him. Next, from Variety Magazine. Disney Plus's Star Wars original spin-off series, The Mandalorian, is returning for Season 2 in October. That's great. I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but I love this show. To me, it's a throwback to the old Western war series that were on television when I was a child. Ray Donovan canceled after seven seasons. And it won't get a final season. This item was reported by Deadline. Boy, another show I liked is Biting the Dust. If you didn't know about this series on Showtime, it chronicled the life of a fixer. A fixer is someone you call when you fucked up and can't afford to take the hit. The show started off located in California, but its recent seasons took place in New York. It was a great series and had all the elements I like in a drama, specifically sex and violence. But Showtime has done it to me again. Years ago, they had a show called Street Time, which I loved, and was canceled after only two seasons. At least I got seven solid seasons out of Ray Donovan. Okay, let's do some words of impact. This will be the last story for now on this, and this is a rather long one, but I find it interesting, and I think you will too. These words of Impact or uttered by an older Polish Oxford professor, whose name I never learned, here's the backstory, as I've said in previous episodes. I lived outside of the city of Oxford with a roommate on our salary, we could barely afford the rent, much less a second car. My roommate was put on night shift, so of course he had to have the car. The only way I could get to work was by hitchhiking and in full uniform to boot. And I had to leave for work about two hours early and walked quite a bit of the 20-something mile journey to the base. The closer I got to the base, the easier it was to catch a ride, but those first 15 miles were rough. Eventually, the kind English people got used to seeing me on the side of the road and would pick me up and take me as far as they could. I kind of developed a network of rides, along with a carload of idiots that would pass me by every day, yelling for me to get out of their country. Usually the first to pick me up was a milkman in his work van. They still had those guys back then. He was good for a couple of miles. Then an older gentleman dressed in a tweed jacket would pick me up and get me down the road another couple of miles. Turns out he was a professor at one of the universities in Oxford. Finally, a man driving a French-made Citroen car, which had the most luxurious seating I've ever experienced, would get me to that magic five-mile limit. I think the guy just wanted to show off his car to me. He wasn't a sure thing, though, but luckily, in his place, a guy that was a big fan of American cop shows would fill in. He He had a big old Dodge, complete with a siren. This guy thought he was an American cop. He just loved American TV. Back to the professor. The first time he picked me up, he ranted about how stupid our president was. It was Jimmy Carter at the time. And how stupid he was to try to, and appease the Russians. He told me he was in Poland when the Germans invaded and then witnessed the, as he put it, a second invasion by the Russians. He said he preferred the Nazis over the communists and that was coming from someone who was Jewish. I agreed with him about our president because Jimmy Carter was an embarrassment and his time in office was a low point for the U.S. military. The professor seemed relieved I agreed with with him and told me he wished I was one of his students who he characterized as closet communist. Hmm. Times haven't changed. We had many conversations about world events each morning I rode with him. Of course, being an undereducated 19-year-old, he'd run circles around me. I learned a lot from him. One of the, if not the last time I rode with him, he appeared somber and deep in thought. Not his usual animated self. He asked me this question that I'll never forget. He asked, Do you think that world governments are just a facade for more powerful people? I replied, uh, I don't think so. Duh. He was talking way over my pea-brained head. Let me tell you my theory, he said. I believe that there is a global cabal cabal of maybe seven men from wealthy families, old families from ancient bloodlines. I think they meet and discuss their next moves. For example, which countries will be at war? Which country they would invest in and grow the economy? Which countries will be rich or poor? What do you think, he asked me. Well, I had never heard of such a thing, and told him my opinion was that the world was too big and wild for just a handful of men to control. The professor seemed disappointed in my closed-mindedness, and before letting me out, he said, Perhaps you are correct. That was the last time I remember talking to him. Of course, many years have gone by, and I think he was trying to describe globalism to me. I think he was onto something something that at a time I couldn't wrap my head around because I was too young, too stupid, and too inexperienced to understand. I often often wonder about the Polish professor and hoped he at least lived to see the end of the Soviet Union. I would have liked to have heard his take on that event. Now a little bit of podcast news. From GritDaily.com Spotify buys Bill Simmons' sports network podcast. On Wednesday, Spotify announced that it purchased former ESPN comment, commentator Bill Simmons' podcast. Too many in that name. Podcast platform The Ringer, founded in 2016, The Ringer, Ringer is a leading creator of sports, entertainment, and pop culture content boasting over 100 million downloads per month and utilizes a profitable business model. According to the article, Spotify CEO David Eck, I guess that's how you pronounce pronounce it, it's spelled E-K, is excited about the purchase, saying, we look at this as we just bought the next ESPN. Spotify is in the midst of of a $400 million spending spree, snapping up podcast networks and striking agreements with other podcast networks to put them way ahead of the competition. They're buying cheap too, as podcasting in general hasn't really hit its high point yet. I know it's getting old, but I have to say it again. Where is this leading to, and how are the independent podcasters going to survive? What attracted me to podcasting was that anyone with minimal equipment could start a show. While still true, it's getting harder every day to get noticed and compete with the big money production capabilities of these legacy media businesses that are entering the arena. Continuing with this trend, the website Music Business Worldwide is reporting that Sony Music has formed a global podcast venture with UK audio producer Something Else. They also recently opened an office in New York City to expand into the United States. That's the uh, audio producer Something Else. I don't know how the independent podcasters can defend against this. Maybe by forming independent networks? Would that work? I don't know. Okay, now it's time for my rant. Food stealers. What do I mean by that? I'm referring to people who you work with that like to help themselves to the food items you bring in, in, usually for yourself. I've been experiencing this phenomenon since my military days and still don't know what drives a person to do this. The first incident I can recall took place when I was stationed in upstate New York. Though I lived off the military base, I didn't have a motor vehicle. Instead, I had a very high-end bicycle I used to commute the 10 or so miles to and from my work area. I was all-in on cycling back then and a member of the League of American Wheelmen. I don't know if that organization still exists, but it was a members-only club of fellow cycling enthusiasts like myself... At the time, anyway. To save the hassle of lugging meals and drinks to work while riding, I would buy a six-pack of Mountain Dew, which wasn't available in vending machines at the time, and a large block of Velveeta cheese and a box of crackers at the local supermarket and store it in the office refrigerator. This would provide me with a week's worth of meals. Back then, it was the only meal of of the day I had. I was on some kind of weird diet for some reason... I don't know, I can't recall why. Anyhow, this arrangement worked fine until one day I noticed that a couple of sodas and some of the cheese and crackers were missing. I wrote it off as a one-time thing. The next day I noticed the same amount of food and drink were missing again. Upon investigating, all fingers pointed to a guy who worked the day shift. I, of course, was on nights. I didn't run into this guy because of our shift, so I told co-workers to let him know it was my stuff and to back off. I even wrote my name on the items to ensure he realized that they were mine, not his, or just open to anybody. The next day, I noticed that all the soda was gone and more of the cheese and crackers were eaten. Well... I contemplated filling empty bottles with battery acid, which resembled Mountain Dew, and placing them back in the refrigerator, but that would be murder, and with my luck, the wrong person would be impacted. That's how my thought process was back then, probably because of the crap diet I was on. I came in early to confront the thief one day. He didn't didn't deny the crime, but it was his reason for doing it that surprised me. He claimed that if it was in the refrigerator, it was fair game. The result of all this was that I stopped storing stuff at work and just brought in my meal every day. At my present job, this is even more prolific. Of the many examples I can give you, I'll just focus on one. I was working the overnight shift, as I do now, and the unit I was working with at the time would throw parties for various reasons, retirements, holidays, and the like. A few of us uh, on the night shift would be asked to contribute. We all did, but by the time we arrived for our shift, all the food deemed edible would be gone. After being burned a couple of times, we decided not to contribute towards these functions any longer. The organizer of one particular function that I was friendly with approached me and asked me and my fellow shift workers to contribute, and he personally guaranteed there would be food left for us. We reluctantly agreed. The day of the party came, and true to the organizer's word, there were three plates of sandwiches, a whole cheesecake, and several bottles of soft drink reserved for our small shift. The man stated that he had to guard the fridge to ensure that the food he put aside for us was not taken. We thanked him and looked forward to break time, as the catered food looked delicious. The previous shift departed, so we thought, and we geared up to start our work day. I had a detail to accomplish, so I remained behind for a while. My co-workers left for the field and I was alone in the office, or so I thought. I sat down in a cubicle and began checking email when I heard the sound of paper being shuffled from the other side of the room. Investigating, I found a member of the previous shift at a desk seemingly working on something. He was a grade above my shift mates and I, and had a great position. I asked him if he was doing some overtime, and he replied he was, because he had to go on temporary duty assignment to teach a class, so he was getting materials together to teach it. Satisfied, I went back to what I was doing until I had to go out into the field myself. When we all arrived back in the office to take our break, we discovered all the sandwiches, the cheesecake and all but one of the soft drinks were gone. Again, we were burned, but at least we knew who did it. This guy had no shame stealing someone else's food. The next day, we told the organizer of the function that what had happened and informed him that we would never contribute again. He was stunned this had happened and apologized and never asked us to chip in again. What makes a person do this? It's not like he was starving. For him, it was just free food. I wonder also if he was considered a hero to his family for bringing home the food. I have never understood the reason or need to do this. Has something similar happened to you guys? Let me know. Well, that's another episode. If you are so inclined, contact me at ofntpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell me how much this podcast sucks and suggest how I can improve it. Have a good retirement, Grandy. You'll always be a Yankee to me. Beat it, Rush. You were the first voice in the wilderness. Golden microphone, for sure. Be safe. See you next week. Now get off my lawn. Take care. I'm out.